0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Y'all, it's been a hard week. And there's part of me that doesn't want to discuss the obvious, what everyone has been talking about pretty nonstop since Sunday. The death of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, Gigi, 13 years old. And seven other souls in a helicopter crash just north of L.A., Calabasas. I'm not hesitant to speak of it because of a lack of feeling or a lack of care or concern. Sometimes there's just really nothing to say, but damn. But then also, I kind of just really want to talk about it. I really need this funeral to happen sooner than later. It helps the living deal with the passing, their loved ones, people they cared for. And it feels so strange to speak of Kobe Bryant, who I've never met, but I still feel like I knew him. His death hit me a lot harder than I expected. I woke up Sunday morning and if you're a regular listener, you've heard me talk about my mountains. I live in a loft and one wall has six windows. They're ceiling to mid-wall and I have a panoramic view of the mountains in Burbank. I see the sunrise every morning. I watch it set over the mountains on good days. Contrary to popular belief, LA is not 75 and sunny every day. It does, in fact, rain in Southern California, and many days, especially in the morning, it can be very cloudy. There are some days that I wake up and The clouds, the fog, whatever weather condition is happening out here because it's varied. I can't even see the mountains. It just looks white in the background. Can't even see these big, massive brown mountains. So Sunday morning was one of those days. I opened my shades as I do every morning. It's the first thing I do before I even go to the bathroom. I noticed it was cloudy. I didn't think anything of it. It's Grammy week. It was maybe 830 in the morning. I had to be at an event no later than 1030. Went right into the bathroom, got dressed, pulled myself together, got in the car, drove to brunch. When I walk in, I immediately run into one of my friends. We're standing at a cocktail table talking. This guy comes up. I don't know who he is. I've never seen him before in my life. He says, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter accident. And I was like, what? Because it just doesn't compute. Why would you say something like that? Because it's obviously not true. Like this is a hoax or something. And he was like, no, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter accident. And I just sort of looked at him. There was a string of words coming out of his mouth, but they just weren't computing to me. He hands me his phone and says, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter accident. And I look at the phone and it's TMZ and a picture of Kobe Bryant with the words that this man has been saying to me. And then they finally unscramble in my head. And I'm looking at the phone and I'm like, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter accident? News spreads around the room that Kobe Bryant has died. Clink of the glasses. It's time for this event to begin. The room was, was too messed up. Like everyone's in shock. Everyone's upset. Brian Michael Cox, his Grammy brunch, and Faith Evans was being honored for her 25th year in the music industry. She was there. She looked beautiful. It was a good event, but it just, everyone was just in the wrong mindset. We started the event with a minute of silence to acknowledge Kobe's death. The event starts. Brian Michael Cox is trying to get people hyped and everyone's got their nose in their phone checking for updates on, on what's going on, who else was in the helicopter. If this is fake news, which I think everyone was hoping that it would be, there's an older black man sitting at the table with me. He looked like he was in his 50s, which probably means he's in his late 60s. Trying not to cry, holding back tears. The, the news is just terrible. I saw one update, an ABC reporter who has since been suspended. He says that all of the Bryant children were on board. So Kobe and his four girls, which is horrific, I couldn't even process that. Like I was checking to see if anyone else was verifying it because that's so terrible that I just blanked it out. Like I was like, my mind can't process this. This cannot be true. And thankfully it was not. There's a rumor that Rick Fox was on board. Rick Fox is dead. And I'm like, Foxy. My hand started shaking and I, I just, I didn't know I felt that strongly about Rick Fox. I don't follow the Lakers. I'm not a big basketball fan. I realized that my affection for Rick Fox comes from watching the game. Foxy. Why else would I call him Foxy? I'm terribly upset thinking that Rick Fox is dead, but then it comes back that Rick Fox is, in fact, not dead, that he's actually alive, which, thank God. Then it's confirmed that Kobe's daughter was on board, which when I, when I wrote on Instagram on Sunday evening, I think I waited till probably like 5 or 6 o'clock just to compose myself. I put up a black square. Everyone their mother was posting pictures of of Kobe and his daughter. I just put up a black square and was like, look, I got nothing. And I wrote then that I don't have the words to address the death of a 13-year-old girl. And I still don't. Like, I don't know what to say other than it's terrible and it's awful and what a tragedy. And she wasn't the only young girl on board. There were nine people on the helicopter, Kobe and his daughter- Another mom and daughter leaving a husband and father behind. And then another family. A mom, a dad, a daughter. They had two additional children that now have no mommy and no daddy and no sister. My heart breaks, breaks, breaks for them. And the pilot. It's just a tragedy. I read that it was Kobe's helicopter. It was a foggy day, and they got special permission to fly in very bad weather. The pilot just couldn't see. Got off track, couldn't see where the mountains were. That's an indication of of how bad the fog was that day. Sad, 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 sad. My heart breaks for obvious reasons for Vanessa Bryant and her remaining children lose your husband of of 19 years and your 13 year old daughter in one day to lose them both in a lifetime is bad enough. But in one day she released a statement or someone from the Bryant PR camp foundation released a statement yesterday on Instagram on her Instagram page. Her page had gone private for obvious reasons. And she opened it up and and posted or someone posted to it, thanking people for their love and support and, you know, acknowledging her anguish. God bless that woman because I would be laid up in bed on Volumes, Xanax, Percocet, maybe all three. Like I just, I, I wouldn't be able to function in the world. But she also has two little babies. I think one daughter is three, maybe. And then the other one's not even a year old, the youngest. Sad, sad, sad. I stayed at the event through brunch, tried my best to participate. I was just out of it. And this one thought kept coming over and over in my head. And it was like, I watched him go to prom with Brandy. Like that was the only real like coherent thought that kept popping up. It was like, I watched him go to prom with Brandy. And it was just, I knew it was a weird thing to think And I was just like, I'm out of it. I'm losing my mind. I just need to go home. So I canceled the rest of the day. I had a bunch of stuff that I was supposed to do, events I was supposed to go to for the Grammys. And I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm tapped out. Came home, watched the Grammy pre-show as best I could. That was just sad. Like, they're trying to talk to artists on the red carpet about fashion and then also Kobe and then they keep cutting to a special correspondent who's giving updates on, on Kobe. They're asking people, like, where, you know, where were you when you heard? Or, you know, how are you processing? Or what's your favorite memory? And then the person would answer. You know, most of them, their voice cracked because it's sad. It's beyond sad. And then the host would be like, so who are you wearing tonight? And just like, Wah. I know y'all got a job to do. Everyone was trying to do the best they could, so no judgment. But it was just, it was a bad night. Alicia Keys at the Grammys. I like Alicia Keys. I do. I liked her first album. I don't know whose idea it was. And I'm going I'm to say this while acknowledging that everyone was scrambling to change the show. They wanted to show respect and give some sort of dedication for the loss of an American hero on music's biggest night. This very watched televised award show. Whoever decided that boys to men needed to be opened up by or accompanied by Alicia Keys, Alicia on her own can carry the very special notes that Alicia delivers. Some people very much enjoy it. Her voice is much improved since Whitney Houston's funeral cuz that was that's probably the worst that it was, but it's it's back in decent form now. Boys to men Ain't decent form. That's superior form. When you have decent form. You shouldn't be singing with superior form. Certainly not harmonizing a cappella. That sounded. Ungood. Lizzo did nice at the Grammys. Demi Lovato. She looked good. She sounded good. I'm glad to see that she's in better spirits. I don't remember much else from the show. Usher. I thought his Prince tribute was nice. It wasn't the greatest Prince tribute, but no one is going to really do a Prince tribute like Prince. Like you can't outdo Prince. I thought it was nice. My mother was appalled. Apparently Usher changed a lyric, a line on Kiss. You don't have to watch Dynasty to have an attitude. I guess Usher changed it to Insecure, and my mother just went off. Who does he think he is to change the lyrics to a Prince song? I was like, Mom, he just, you know, he's trying to be relevant. And she was like, No, you don't change Prince. I think I have a little soft spot for Usher, so I let it slide. But she does have a point. You really don't tamper with Prince. It took me a while to figure out why I kept thinking I watched him go to prom with Brandy. I kept saying it to myself over and over like, but I watched him go to prom with Brandy. Like, I watched him grow up. Kobe Bryant going to prom with Brandy is probably when he first arrived on my radar. And I very much remember all the debate, vigorous, ongoing debate about him not going to college and going straight to the NBA. I think he was 17. I remember all the conversation, this black guy who spoke Italian and was going to be a Laker and he wasn't going to college. And could he compete? And was this a bad idea? And would he make it in the league? And I remember him as a kid. And then over all this time, I watched him become a husband, become a father of four, no less. He went from, well, will he, can he, should he about the NBA to dominating in the league? I remember when he got married. I remember there was all the controversy. He didn't do a prenup. His parents were pissed about him getting married. He was only 21. He and his wife, you know, through the ups and downs, made it 19 years. I remember Colorado. The press conference afterward. The ring, which let will save for another day. Now is not the time to discuss that. But I do want to discuss it at some point. I remember there was a time when I thought 41, I thought 30 was old. I'm not 41 yet. I'm 40. So getting there, I'm what young people call old and what old people call young. Most of the time, I feel like a 25-year-old unless I'm actually hanging out with a 25-year-old, at which point I feel very much 40. Even with 40 years of past time, I still think of life as there's so much more to be lived. There's so much more that I want to do. There's so many things that I plan to accomplish that I have not yet. And I can't imagine that being cut short six months from now. I feel like there's so much time left, but you don't know when your time is up. People always say you're not promised tomorrow. Shit. You're not promised the rest of the afternoon either. Kobe, I mean, of all people, he maximized his 41 years. He accomplished so much. But he had so much more left to do. If nothing else, then just raise his babies and love his woman. Just chill. See some world. Whatever it was. I do wish he and everyone else on that plane was still here to fulfill whatever their dreams were. It's just sad. And that day was a shit show. Like a complete shit show from start to finish. Nine people die in a helicopter accident. There's some question as to whether all the families or any of the families were informed that their loved ones had passed before TMZ breaks the news. Dude from TMZ, Harvey, what's his last name? He went on the reel and was like, oh, no, we talked to Kobe's family first. We were in contact with them before we released the news. Uh, The L.A. Sheriff's Department says otherwise. Maybe Kobe's family knew, but some of the other families definitely didn't know. Hence why the L.A. Sheriff's Department scolded TMZ for putting the news out before all the families had been notified. Can you imagine your loved one hearing that you died while scrolling on Instagram? Your mother, your father, your wife, your child, your husband? Rick Fox, in fact, did have that experience, or at least his mom did. Rick Fox hears that Kobe and his daughter have died. He's on the phone with his kids. His phone is blowing up. It's his best friend. He was like, well, I might as well click over, see what he wants. Since he's calling me over and over, he clicks over. The best friend is bawling. He's like, you're alive. And Rick Fox is like, well, yes, I in fact am alive. Why wouldn't I be alive? And Bestie was like, it's all over the news. You're dead. What? Rick Fox's mama called him to see if he was dead because she saw somewhere or someone texted her something. All over social media, people are talking about her son is dead. That poor woman. His siblings, same thing. They heard their brother was dead through some social media outlet or someone texting them. Can you imagine that roller coaster of emotions? I was shaking. I ain't his mama. I ain't no relation to that man. Rick Fox is fine. Ain't few things finer than Rick Fox with a fresh haircut. Even wild hair, Rick Fox. You just brush it down a little bit. But the gist of the beauty cannot be hidden. He's 50. It's fine. NBA ain't shit. They should have canceled all the games on Sunday. I know it's a headache. I know it's expensive, blah, blah, blah. A bunch of grown ass men crying on the sidelines. Who the hell could enjoy the game? If you're a remote basketball fan, even if you hated the Lakers because you root for a rival team, you're devastated. Even if half your life you spent complaining, fuck Kobe, because he was arrogant, because he hogged the ball, because of all the stuff people used to complain about Kobe. He's a good-ass athlete. You didn't want him to die. He represented hard work and persistence and meeting your goals, delivering, over-delivering, shooting in the gym. Then, after the game, they're interviewing players. A couple of people shut their locker rooms down, which was decent to do. But they're interviewing players with bloodshot eyes, shoving recorders in their face so they can emote with cracked voices on camera or audio about the death of someone that they knew and liked and loved and admired. Shit show. I was on LeBron's page Monday evening and he had not commented. There was a story, I guess, LeBron broke Kobe's record for most points the day before. He was on the phone with Kobe Sunday morning before he flew back to L.A. And when he got off the plane, he was told that Kobe died. And there's a grainy, blurry video of him shaking Hugging somebody. Clearly distraught. My guess is probably his wife. That was circulating around the internet on Sunday. And then Monday, people are complaining. They're like, well, LeBron hasn't even said anything. This incessant need that for people to want other people to emote for them or perform grief for them online. It's nuts. Now, people are complaining on LeBron's page. Why haven't you said anything? You were jealous of him. Stupid shit. And then LeBron finally comments, I'm not ready, but here I go. That's just wrong. Pressure somebody who's in the middle of their grief to comment on social media, to, to take time out of their grieving, their processing, their memories of someone, to put a post on social media just so you won't think that they don't care. How dare we demand that of people? I've had folks do that to me twice. The show I was on, my castmate passed away, and... I heard she was sick again, maybe a month before. Most people don't know that she and I shared a best friend for about 10 years. We were not friends, but we had the same best friend. And she told me when she got sick again, the day before she passed, I was in this Facebook group and someone who was very close to her asked us to pray for her because she was not in good shape. So I did that. And then the next morning, I logged on to Facebook. Someone reported that she passed away. That's how I found out. And then my phone starts blowing up with media requests. And then my Twitter and my Instagram with everyone tagging me. She and I, on camera, had a contentious relationship. Note, on camera, it's bad. Really, really bad day. Someone you know. Perhaps not well, but no, nonetheless. Someone you know who dies from cancer, no less. My grandmother had passed away from cancer, so I'm super, super sensitive about cancer. But someone that I knew dies 32, 33. It's a tragedy. But people wanted, expected, I don't know. Whatever I wrote on Instagram, it was only two lines. I offered my condolences to her friends and family. And because I didn't emote the right way, I didn't pour out, didn't expect express enough grief. I remember being deeply criticized for that. And I was like, I'm being criticized for how I mourn somebody on Instagram. Like you're criticizing me for the performance of grief on fucking Instagram. Like whatever people saw on camera, whatever beef they thought existed, it was not that serious in the real world, I assure you. I did not like being painted as a villain nor being treated as one when I went out in public. And I certainly did not expect that on a very, very difficult day of dealing with the grief of someone that I knew that people wanted me to perform for them. Very insensitive. Another castmate of mine. guess a couple years ago, got into a really bad car accident, which I'm again, scrolling on Instagram and people keep tagging me. And I'm like, why are people tagging me in like a busted up car? I finally clicked on it and read the caption. And I was like, wait, what? Like she was in that car. I had to find out what happened to her. Again, a bunch of mutual friends in common. I had to track her down, track down somebody who knew her. Is she alive? Is she okay? Like, what happened to her? And people were like, why aren't you posting? Post what? Post what? People be really fucked up sometimes. I don't want to talk about this anymore. In somewhat ratchet news, and the rest of this podcast is ratchet, just FYI. I've been sad since Sunday. Like, I... Yeah. So in Ratchet News, have y'all been keeping up with this American Dirt controversy? American Dirt is this new novel came out last week by Janine Cummins. She's from Spain. In 2015, she ID'd as white. She has since written a book, American Dirt, about a Mexican mother and her son who flee to the US after a drug cartel comes after their family. Janine Cummins, who identified as white in 2015, prior to the publication of the book, somewhere in 2019, she began identifying as Latina. Lots of buzz about this book. Flatiron Books, the publisher, hailed it as, quote, grapes of wrath for our times, and, quote, a new American classic. Cummins allegedly received a seven-figure advance for the book. It quickly became a bestseller on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, The New York Times, and sold nearly 50,000 copies in the first week. Oprah Winfrey selected American Dirt as her second pick for her relaunched book club. Oprah called it, quote, a heart-wrenching page-turner, and you won't be able to put it down. In the nine days since this book has come out, it's gone from complete sugar to complete shit. Latino writers and readers have accused Cummins of cultural appropriation, perpetuating Latino stereotypes. And there's some question as to whether she may have plagiarized the work of other Latino writers. It gets worse. She had a book release celebration, Big Fancy Dinner. The centerpieces on the table were imitations of the Mexican border wall with barbed wire around them. That's racist as fuck. Gets worse. To build the author's credibility when the publisher was pitching out the book, they mentioned that her husband had been an undocumented immigrant. The publisher just let people run with the idea, assume... That her husband was an undocumented Mexican immigrant. Hence where she gets her her deep insight on the experience from. You know that man was from Ireland? White people. I tell you. They be trying it sometimes. So yesterday. More than a hundred writers. Write an open letter to Oprah Winfrey. Asking her to remove the book from her book club. This is what they put in the letter. Quote. This is not a letter calling for her silencing nor censoring. But. In a time of widespread misinformation, fear-mongering, and white supremacist propaganda related to immigration and to our border, in a time when adults and children are dying in U.S. immigration cages, we believe that a novel blundering so badly in its depiction of marginalized, oppressed people should not be lifted up. I love when writers get mad because they will give you the drag of life. There's more. The writers claim, quote, the book is widely and strongly believed to be exploitative, oversimplified and ill-informed, too often erring on the side of trauma fetishization and sensationalism of migration and of Mexican life and culture. People were so pissed off that the publisher ended up canceling the author's book tour after five dates, it was supposed to be 40. They made it five and the publisher was like, no dice, we done. And here's why they said they canceled it. Publisher, Bob Miller, he got to be white with that name. He cited specific threats to booksellers and the author. It led them to believe there quote exists real peril to their safety. Peril to their safety over, over a book? This man made it sound like this about to be a drive-by at Barnes & Noble. Perils to their safety? We banging over books? From what I read, activists and critics had planned to attend the book signings, and they wanted to question the author about the book's depiction of Mexicans, their experience. That's not perilous. That's uncomfortable. Y'all didn't want to be confronted by the people you offended and appropriated from. And then you made it sound like they were crazy and violent. That's very white, capital W, very white. In a statement, the publisher did admit how badly they botched this situation. That's when I first got put onto it. I saw the publisher's statement, which was so over the top in admitting it's wrongdoing. I was like, what exactly did y'all do? And then I went back and found the controversy. And I was like, oh yeah, y'all fucked up big time. The publisher said they quote, had been caught by surprise by the anger and frustration expressed by many. He said, The fact that we were surprised is indicative of a problem. The discussion around this book has exposed deep inadequacies in how we at Flatiron Books address issues of representation, both in the books we publish and in the teams that work on them. He also admitted to mistakes made by the publisher specific to the promotion, We should never have claimed that it was a novel that defined the migrant experience. We should not have said Janine's husband was an undocumented immigrant while not specifying that he was from Ireland. We should not have had a centerpiece at our bookseller dinner last May that replicated the book jacket so tastelessly. We can now see how insensitive those and other decisions were and we regret them. It's just me. Or are you tired of white people doing stupid shit and apologizing for it after? When I was a kid, I used to just do dumb shit. And I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, mommy. And she'd be like, don't be sorry, just don't do it. Like some stuff is so blatantly stupid that you should know better than to do. That applies here. This whole problem with this book and the insensitivity about the nails and the husband from ireland and the barbed wire all of that could have been avoided if you had one person of color in a position of power in your company i don't really know the ins and outs of mexican culture i've been to mexico a couple times but i could probably tell you very easily hey this centerpiece of of a of a mexican wall with barbed wire around it with a bunch of rich white people swilling champagne. That's not going to go over well in these pictures. Mm-mm. We should we should just put some flowers on the table. That might be best. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, I think we should publish this book about the Mexican experience. Written by this white woman with an undocumented husband from Ireland. Black girl in the room. I could be like, you know what? If we really want to do a book about the authentic Mexican experience. We should probably get a Mexican to write it. Maybe? I'm sick of white people in this shit. Just do crazy, stupid shit. Just getting yourselves in all sorts of muddled mess. Because y'all ain't got no people of color in the damn room. In a position of power who could be like, hey, y'all about to fuck up? It's so easy for us. It's so difficult for y'all. Jesus. Hire some damn people of color. And Oprah bless her heart. Oprah just in some shit right now. I don't know what's going on, Lady O. Is everything okay? Because this is the second book in the book club. People are pissed and she can't pull this book because she just pulled out of the documentary on Russell Simmons, which is our next topic. So she can't pull out of this despite all the controversy. So she's like, yeah, like I hear people's concerns and I spent the past few days listening to members of the Latin community trying to get a greater understanding of their concerns and, and I hear them. I do. She says she ain't pulling the book and she'll address the controversy in more detail in a March episode of Oprah's book club on Apple. I love me some Oprah. You know, I love me some Oprah. I ride for Oprah, ma'am. Fighting a war on two fronts is hard. You over there fighting the Russell War. She had flack for signing on to the documentary. She got flack for signing off the documentary. Can't win right now. And then she got this book over here. And they're like, the fuck are you doing, Oprah? What are you doing, Oprah? I'm not, not really sure right now. I know you'll pull it together, but these are trying times. Trying times. Let's get in a quick word from one of our sponsors. When it comes to beauty products, we have so many choices. So, why not ask for more from your favorite brands? I'm motivated now more than ever to stick to high quality, amazing products that are both vegan and cruelty free. That's why I'm so glad I discovered Thrive Cosmetics. Thrive Cosmetics products are made with high-performance, skin-loving ingredients. Their clinically proven formulas highlight your best features with long-lasting wear. I got my box of Thrive Cosmetics a couple days ago, and I was really, really happy. I don't wear makeup most days, but when I do, I usually put a little lash on. I'm out of lashes. And I couldn't find my mascara. And I was like, oh, I don't want to drive all the way to Ulta, So my Thrive Cosmetics box came and I was like, "Ooh, mascara stuff really works. Brightens the eye. I was looking a little dull there back in business as it would happen. Thrive Cosmetics Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara is sold every seven seconds and has over 7000 five star reviews online. So I'm not the only one who really, really, really likes the mascara. The innovative tried-and-true mascara gives the look of lash extensions with a smudge-proof, flake-free formula that truly lasts all day. As a bonus, Thrive Cosmetics never tests on animals and has been Leaping Bunny and PETA certified as completely vegan and cruelty-free. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics helps women in need thrive by donating funds or products. Their causes include women emerging from homelessness much needed, especially here in LA. We have a very big homeless issue, surviving domestic violence, and women fighting cancer. That's awesome. Start thriving and help women in need today by going to Thrivecosmetics.com slash respectable and use code respectable for fifteen percent off your first purchase. That's Thrive, C-A-U-S-E, medics.com slash respectable. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, above code respectable, for 15% off. Thrivecosmetics.com slash respectable, code respectable. Last night, I went to see On The Record, a.k.a., The Me Too Russell Simmons documentary, the one 50 Cent was flipping out about that Oprah was involved in. The documentary that Russell Simmons heard about and wrote an open letter to Oprah online begging her. He wouldn't say begging, but it was begging not to put out the documentary on him. The film was supposed to be distributed by Apple, but after Russell Simmons' letter proclaiming his innocence, Oprah eventually pulled the film. She says it wasn't because of Simmons, though. She did an interview on CBS with Gail and Friends saying that she supported the survivors who were featured in the documentary. And she also said that she had some changes she wanted to make as the executive producer, which she has been for some decades now. The other producers did not agree with her changes. They did not make them. And so Oprah walked. From the documentary, she specifically said her walking had nothing to do with Russell Simmons and had to do with changes she felt were necessary to the film. She said, quote, a Russell Simmons, like he was a thing, a petty object, didn't have the power to move her needle. I read somewhere else that Oprah had Ava give the film a once over and Ava found problems with it. The screening I went to. Was at a private residence in Brentwood. In my head, I pictured that I would be going to somebody's house and we would all sit around on the couch in the living room and we would watch this film. Silly me. They had a, a film room, but it was actually like a film house. So, like a whole guest house, but just a private theater. They probably could have fit like 30 people very comfortably and cutely in a series of couches and loungy chairs and just comfort, the height of comfort that you would want to watch your films and TV in. And I was like, what am I doing wrong in life that these people got a whole house just to watch TV and film? LA is really big on film. Like watching film, how you watch film, there's a whole culture around it. It's very unique. So I get invited to the screening. It's probably 10 people in the room. Someone I know is involved with the film. They asked me if I wanted to see it. I was watching the film looking for the reasons that Oprah may have found it problematic. I know that the version that I saw last night was the version that aired at Sundance. I do not know if it was the last version of the film that Oprah saw that she wasn't pleased with and decided to pull out. I don't know what edits, if any, had been made. But I was watching the film looking for the problems. I've been a journalist the better part of 20 years now. Went to J School, NYU, like a journalist journalist. Like I've written thousands of articles. I just don't really write anymore. Screenplays, books, Instagram updates. But I don't really write for publications as much as I used to. It's just honestly, it's not lucrative for me. I was looking with journalistic eyes at the film specifically looking for the moment or moments that I think would make someone have pause enough to pull out of the film. And honestly, I couldn't find it. It's not a perfect film. It's, it's a film about sexual assault. It centers on one woman And her journey to have her story told, Drew Dixon, she was an exec at Def Jam and then also an exec at Arista. There are two other women who are pretty prominently featured, not as much as as Drew, but two other women tell their stories about Russell. And then there's also a montage of six other women, I counted, telling their stories of their encounters with Russell. The common thread is he would get them alone. And he would go into another room under the guise of, I need to get something. I need to do something or whatever. And he would come back in butt naked with the condom on and pin the woman down. All women had the same accounts. They screamed, they fought, they whatever. And he would physically overpower them and rape them. In Drew Dixon's case, when she was working at Def Jam, she said everything was fine for a while. And then he would pull her into a closet And try to make out with her. And she would freak out. And then he would super apologize. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Blah, blah, blah. And she was like, it was weird. He didn't seem violent. It was just like, what the fuck? He would lock office doors and pull his dick out. I was like, creepy motherfucker. But again, she says he wasn't violent. She was like, he was just casually inappropriate, hypersexual, In a way that like a lot of men can be sometimes. Like kind of creepy but like harmless creepy. So she didn't think he was a physical threat to her. She went to his house one night. He raped her. The women seemed credible to me. If any of them went to the police, they didn't mention it. Drew told a couple people about the incident. The rape at the time. One of them is a guy who's in the documentary and says, yeah, I could tell something was wrong with her. She told me way back then what happened. I see why Russell didn't want it made. It's very damning. The accusations, the number of women, and then also there's audio and video of Russell talking about women. And the way bitches and hoes just so casually flows out of his mouth. When talking about women who haven't even done anything like it's just bitch hoe is synonymous for woman. I mean, a lot of men speak about women that way. A lot of men don't like women. Sex with women, perhaps. But actual women, not so much. So all the stuff that women say is is bad. The consistency of the stories, the number of the stories bad. But the stuff that comes out of Russell's mouth and the way that he delivers it, it's pretty bad. I also really understand why Oprah was drawn to this documentary. There are some really insightful points made specifically about black women dealing with Me Too, sexual harassment, assault, rape, all of those things that don't necessarily apply to the wider, whiter Me Too movement. Like, this is a film about Russell Simmons, but it's also a film about much more. Like, it's about Russell allegedly raping so many women and locking them in offices and pulling his dick out at work. Yes. But it's also about the culture of hip-hop and the misogyny that rampantly runs through it. That's not just Russell. There's a whole culture around it. And then around the culture of hip-hop, it makes a point that, American culture is misogynistic. It's not just these young black guys doing this treacherous thing and everyone else is living a white picket fence life. It's like, nah, American culture is fucked up when it comes to women and hip hop too as a part of American culture is fucked up when it comes to women. I also appreciated the mention of other genres of music that are very misogynistic. I appreciated the mentions of Weinstein and many of the White predators who have been called to task in the last couple years, I think it's worth making the point, even in a documentary about a black man who's a predator. I think it is worth making the point that predatory behavior is not the domain of black men. And I say that because, as much as the What About Weinstein people drive me up a wall, because I think it's just a way of deflection of not wanting to talk about. Black male violence towards black women, black male predatory behavior, black male misogyny. And again, I don't think all men are misogynistic or predators or violent, but there are some. And those some in our community need to be addressed and rooted out. You cannot have a strong community without safe and healthy women and safe and healthy children. But about the Weinstein people, I think the vast majority of them are deflecting. I think there is a small minority of what about Weinstein people who are genuinely concerned about media bias and for whatever stupid reason have decided the media coverage of white predators versus black predators is is the way they want to make a point about bias. Media bias absolutely exists. A couple years ago, a few years ago now, for the root, I wrote this story this white woman OD'd in an apartment. The apartment was on the Upper West Side. When the newspaper wrote an article about the woman's passing, something they said something like she had consumed more rock cocaine than her system could handle, and she was at a cocaine apartment. Quote and unquote, I remember the quote, cocaine apartment. And I was like... Is that like a crack house apartment? If it was a black person, they would have called it a crack house. A white woman on the Upper East Side isn't smoking crack. She's consuming rock cocaine in a cocaine apartment. So I'll be the first to admit media bias is real. Media bias exists. Media bias is a problem. Media bias needs to be rooted out. But if you really want to make a point about media bias, discuss the lack of coverage of missing girls. Discuss the underrepresentation of single black fathers taking care of their kids. Talk about black teachers. Talk about the underrepresentation of black people who just mind their business, earn a legal wage, and somehow manage not to be predators in their community or even other communities. That's worth discussing media bias for. There's too much coverage of black men who are raping black girls and women. Really? You come on the page of a black woman advocating for black women and black girls to be like, but what about Weinstein? Weinstein has three damn documentaries, at least. Weinstein is currently on trial and is covered every 24 hours, by every major newspaper in the country who are keeping people updated on the Weinstein trial. People be like, well, when I log on to social media, I don't see. Let me explain to you how social media works. You choose who you follow. You literally choose the kind of content you consume. Weinstein is white. Most of his victims, not all, most were white. If you only follow black news outlets, which predominantly cover black people and black issues, you are not going to find a lot of information on Weinstein. If you are interested in information on Weinstein, I would invite you to follow the Washington Post, the New York Times, the LA Times, USA Today, all of these people consistently, every day of this trial, write a story on Weinstein. I don't see big stories about Weinstein. Do you follow Vanity Fair? Because Vanity Fair, two weeks ago, did a huge story. They interviewed 30 women who have accused Weinstein of predatory behavior. You can put a Google alert on your phone if you really want to make a point. Just log in. Come on, people. You can be informed if you choose to be. Another thing this film is about, it's about the effects of speaking up. Very often people say, well, why didn't they go to the police? Why didn't they say something at the time? The film includes footage of Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill when he was up for the nomination for the Supreme Court. And Anita Hill is the picture of a prim black woman sitting there describing how this man would talk to her about porn. And a pubic hair on his coke. She did all that testifying. He still got nominated. He's still sitting on the Supreme Court. He literally sat on that court and didn't say shit for years, but he's there for life. They had footage from Desiree Washington. Remember her from Mike Tyson? I was a kid when that happened. I didn't remember how beautiful she was, but she's doing this interview with Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters says to her, People say, Well, why did she go up to the room? She knew what was about to happen. And Desiree Washington says, I am shocked that people think this way in 1992. She thought the culture had moved far in 1992. Here we are nearly 30 years later, still asking the same questions. Well, why did she go upstairs? Why did she wear that? Why did she say that? Why didn't she quit? Needed a fucking job. Got bills. Another great point that came up in the film, and it was Drew. She had a lot of good insights. She was speaking about how when victims speak up, they are the ones that have to retell the dirt of the story. They have to repeat the nasty actions or repeat the nasty words that were said to them. And you can be like Anita Hill, the picture of Prim, but the words penis and pubic hair on a can of Coke are rolling off your lips and not the alleged predator. You ask Clarence Thomas, did you say, I would never say such a thing? Did you pull, I would never do such a thing. All he has is the denials, but the talk of the porn and the penis and the pubic hair. That's all coming from the woman's lips. And then she gets associated with the filth because she's the one forced to speak it To prove what's happened to her. It's sick. It's very sick. Another thing that stands out. There's an infamous quote. I want to say it's by. I don't know if it's by the guy who wrote the village voice piece on R. Kelly. Or the guy who was doing all the reporting for the Chicago Sun-Times on R. Kelly. One of them pointed out the reason that R. Kelly was able to get away with all his predatory behavior, alleged predatory behavior, since he's not been convicted and I don't want to get sued. But he said that the reason he was able to get away with all this stuff was because no one cares about poor black girls. This documentary about Russell Simmons centers on women who worked in a professional space. Drew Dixon at least had a degree from Stanford. Her mother was Sharon Pratt-Dixon, who was once the mayor of D.C. So she came with a little a little oomph, but it meant nothing because she got treated just about the same way. It's not just poor black girls that no one cares about. You can be a rich, degreed, educated black woman for money. Still, no one cares. Drew is describing incidents that happened 94 96 98 25 years ago and she's still trying to get her story out she was able to get her story out in the new york times but she filmed this documentary she gave the producers and and the film crew weeks months hours of her life that she can't get back oprah signs on it's a really big deal oprah pulls out film goes to sundance gets standing ovations At least four or five major publications write glowing reviews. People are fawning over this film. No one bought it. They came out of Sundance with no distributor. People care about black women. Do they? Because this film doesn't have a distributor. I can tell you about this film and I'm telling you about this film in depth because you may not ever get a chance to see it. If it doesn't get distributed, how would you? One more thing really messed me up. They're talking to the experts and they say, experts, why are Black women having such an issue reporting rape, reporting assault, reporting these crimes? Like, what, what is the problem? What is the fundamental issue here? And someone points out, I don't remember which expert it was. I, I typed out the quote, but I didn't type out the name. She says, because Black women value Black men more than they value themselves. She talks about how Black women have been brainwashed with the idea that black men have it so much harder than them. Black men are the victims of lynching. Black men, you call the police on them, they don't get arrested, they get killed. Black man, you report him for a crime, he's more likely to be over-sentenced for something petty. So you don't call the police on black men. In so many ways, we're taught to put the needs of black men before our own. They didn't say it in the documentary, We stayed over afterward and we talked for another three hours, four hours about various topics. And one of them was religion. We just tap dance on it. But as I was driving home, I was thinking about how many times a day in some form or fashion it's suggested that my role is that a man's helpmate. He is to lead and I am to submit. He is the head. I am the neck that turns the head. Your role is not number one. Your role is not even a co-leader. To follow what we're doing right now, this teaching women to be secondary so that they can build up the fragile egos of weak men. It's not working for us. Let's get in another word from our sponsors. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers, have you ever asked yourself what you're paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees, you're being taken advantage of because they know you'll pay it. Enter Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly on to you. Did I tell y'all about the time I got a phone bill for $177? I called my provider and was like, I can't pay $177 for a phone bill. It's ridiculous. They were like, well, ma'am, your bill. And I was like, I saw what the bill is. And I was like, I can't afford it. I was like, I only use this phone to talk on it. And was pleased with myself when I got it down to $100. And then I saw Mint Mobile and they were like, yeah, $15. And I was like, I'm sorry, excuse me, What? Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to 15 bucks per month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text, and with Mint Mobile, you can stop paying for unlimited data you'll never use. Choose between plans 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. You can ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. To get your new wireless plan for just $15 a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash respectable. That's mintmobile.com slash respectable. Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash respectable. Last but not least, can we talk about the trash ass human that is Terry Crews? I'm so mad at him right now. It's so disappointed. He had goodwill of the people and he just shat upon it. In 2017, top of the Weinstein scandal. Why does this man's name keep coming up? My God. Terry Crews goes on Twitter and says a film executive sexually assaulted him at an industry event the previous year. This is what he tweeted my wife and I were at a Hollywood function and a high level Hollywood executive came over to me and groped my privates jumping back. I said, what are you doing? My wife saw everything and we looked at him like he was crazy. He just grinned like a jerk. I was going to kick his ass right then, but I thought twice about how the whole thing would appear. 240 pound black man stomps out Hollywood honcho would be the headline the next day. Only I probably wouldn't have been able to read it because I would have been in jail. So we left. Cruz said he talked to everyone he knew who worked with the executive about what happened to him, and the executive called him the next day to apologize, but quote, never really explained why he did what he did. Cruz said he opted not to take it further because he didn't want to be ostracized, par for the course when the predator has power and influence. Terry Crews tells this story. I remember when it happened. And he was largely clowned by men for allowing himself to be felt up by another man. They're like, how your big ass going to let some man fill you up and not say anything about it. With your wife standing right there, no less. They called him all sorts of names. Implied he was gay. Implied he was a lesser man, a weaker man. All of that. Many black women supported Crews. They could identify with being sexually harassed, being scared to say anything, not wanting to rock the boat, not wanting to be ostracized. They got it. They stood by him. They spoke up for him. One of those women happened to be Gabrielle Union. Fast forward. Union and Cruz are both working on America's Got Talent. In November, unfortunately, Gabrielle Union is let go from the show. Her contract is not renewed. Rumors circulate. Dwayne Wade gets on Twitter and he implies that Gabrielle stood up for what she believed in. She will not be bullied. So it kind of gives people a sense that something was going on. Gabrielle spoke up about it, but she never says exactly what. Variety releases a story about Gabrielle Union's exit They say that she split from NBC because she was complaining about racism and sexism behind the scenes. There's a story about Jay Leno allegedly making a racist joke about Korean restaurants. There's something else about a white contestant who was overstepping in their impersonation of Beyonce. On top of that, allegedly, Execs at NBC complained about Gabrielle Union's hair, alleging that it was, quote and unquote, too black for viewers. John Murray and I talked about that on a previous episode. If you're interested in that conversation, short version, this story comes out in variety. Tons of people rally behind Gabrielle Union. Sag Astra gets involved and NBC launches an investigation into the alleged complaints that came up in this Variety article, which once again, I just want to remind you, these are people who were on set at the show who were saying, this is what happened to Gabrielle Union and why she was let go. This is not Gabrielle Union doing it. This is why they fired me. These were people who worked on the show that said, here were the problems that were going on behind the scenes, and Gabrielle Union was the one that spoke up about it. So this happens November, December. So maybe let's say six weeks pass for some unknown reason, because no one was sitting around thinking, I wonder what Terry Crews thinks about Gabrielle Union being fired. He was her castmate on the show. He hadn't said anything in all this time. He would kept his mouth completely shut. He goes on the Today Show and starts talking about America's Got Talent and he just throws Gabrielle Union under the bus they asked him what's going on at AGT and sir sir went full coon whatever character Samuel Jackson was playing in Django when he was like that's a nigga on a nag that was Terry Cruz he went full that it was embarrassing watching him so they ask him they say Terry what's going on at AGT is everything good of saying something like hey you know there's an ongoing investigation really can't weigh in on this no no not your boy Terry Cruz. that's not what he chose to do Terry goes full coon goes, oh no no that that's not my experience on America's Got Talent in fact it was one of the most diverse places I've ever worked in my 20 years of entertainment He goes on to detail all the variety of people there in front of the camera. He said, oh, yeah, you know, the top 10 acts were Asian, women, elder, younger, black, white. It was it was everything in the gamut. Are you serious right now? It's a direct response to the complaints that Union was let go because she complained about the racist jokes targeting the Asian community. And the comments about her hairstyle being too black. But may I point out to used to be Brother Cruz. Gabby's complaints about what was going on behind the scenes. You talking about the variety of people in front of the camera that are there to entertain a largely white audience? That's not power. Diversity in front of the camera is is cool. The shot callers are behind the camera. The diversity there is what Union's issues were, or the lack of diversity there, rather. Cruz goes on to say his wife was the reason that he didn't feel compelled to support Gabriel Union. He said he asked his wife what he should do when Gabrielle got fired. He says his wife said that Gabrielle hasn't made any statements about these allegations publicly. And if she hasn't made a statement, why would you? Fair. But if your wife told you to shut the fuck up because Gabrielle didn't say anything at the time, Gabrielle still hadn't said anything. Why your ass out here talking? You listen to your wife. Why can't you keep listening to your wife? I swear there are so many black men and so much shit loads of trouble. And they'd be like, yeah, my wife told me not to do that. Remember Steve Harvey went and hung out with Trump and gotten all that hot water. Everybody was mad at him and stopped watching his show for a minute. Ratings were in the tank. And he was like, yeah, Mar- Marjorie has said, don't do that. Remember John Gray did the same thing. Separate occasion. I'm like, you didn't see the black people that already went and got in trouble. He was like, God told me to go to the White House, but my wife said, don't go. I don't believe God told you that. I really honestly don't. I do not believe God told you, you know what you should do? Go hang out for races racist for a photo op. I'm going to also point out, when the voice of God and the voice of your wife are not aligned, that's an issue. You need to sit still, sir. You need to pray. You need to, to get aligned. If you are married to somebody and you do not trust their judgment, you really need to question, why am I married to this person? Maybe the wives need to leave because these husbands be fucking up. If I sound like I'm mad at Terry Crews, it's really because I am. His behavior is so emblematic of so many black men who black women have stood up for. And when the tables are turned, are not stood for by black men. We see this over and over and over and over and over again. Police brutality, which affects black women, but by and large is a black man's issue. Black women run. To protect black men, to, to protest, to stand in the fight, to hashtag. Black women will get up and go protest. They're like, that could be my son, that could be my husband, that could be my nephew, that could be my father, my uncle. Gotta go support. Domestic violence. An issue that, by and large, affects black women. Black men, too. Black men can be victims of DV. By and large, an issue that affects black women. You'll see a bunch of women talking about it. Rape. Happens to men, yes, by and large, an issue that happens to women. You see black women talking about it. The same black men that want black women to come support them when they talk about police brutality, when they need all hands on deck, when they need numbers. They want you to show up for their shit. When your shit comes, that's a women's issue. Domestic violence. What you say to make him mad? Why'd you stay? That's the shit you get when, when domestic violence is discussed. Or men want to run up in there and be like, why are y'all talking about domestic violence? Which I should be talking about is I extensively cover predators. I talk about Weinstein. I talk about R. Kelly. I talk about Bill Cosby. I talk about a lot of men's predatory behavior against women. Without fail, when I talk about the harm and the violence that some black men commit against some black women, some black men and some black women, too, are quick to run up on my page. And mind you, you got to follow me in order to comment. I did it that way to keep the trolling down. Write about any black predator. Within the first five comments, somebody's going to be like, well, what about Weinstein? Black men don't want to talk about black men's violence. They don't want to talk about black women. Black women's problems are not black people's problems. Those are black women's problems. Black men's problems, that's all hands on deck. All black people, black men, women, children, everybody on deck. You're going to discuss my issue because my issue matters. Your issue, oh, that's y'all shit. Good luck with that. You talk about rape, no man ever knows a rapist. You talk about domestic violence, no man ever knows another man that hits women. You talk about men who use words like bitches and hoes, every woman has been called a bitch or a hoe. No man ever says, yes, I call women bitches and hoes, and I know men that do. Cat called in the street, street harassment, I've I've seen men do it, but no one I know does that. Mm Mm-mm, no. Every single woman I know, at the very minimum, you've been sexually harassed or talked to crazy in the street. Every woman I know got five stories. No man ever knows a man who's committed any of the crimes or the violence or the harm or any of the things that black women talk about. No man ever knows a man who acts like that. Certainly not himself. It's like five mystical men that don't know each other or anyone else are just running around creating all the havoc. It's not a cultural problem. It's these five mystical men, destructive men. They be everywhere, all over the country. Same five men committing all the harm. It's crazy. But back to the trash box human that is Terry Cruz. Gabrielle Union is rightfully annoyed by Terry Cruz shenanigans. She goes on Twitter and it's like, hey, so I'm not clear why anyone would gleefully get on TV and tell lies that no one disputed. Once again, Gabby never said they didn't like my hair or I complained about XYZ and that's why I was fired. Variety went and talked to people on set and they were like, yeah, so this is what's been going on. Gabrielle further says, the reason I didn't say anything is because NBC and I agreed not to say anything as long as there was an ongoing investigation. She was like, I got tea. I'm happy to spill it all, What you want?" And because Terry Crews is not done being a coon, he releases some statement and he was like, yeah. So there's only one woman on earth I have to please. Her name is Rebecca, his wife. He says, not my mother, my sister, my daughters, or my coworkers. I will let their husbands, boyfriends, partners take care of them. Rebecca gives me wings. So Rebecca's your Red Bull? Rebecca, who you don't listen to when she told you to shut the fuck up? That Rebecca? Rebecca who did nothing while you also did nothing when a man walked up to you at a party and grabbed your dick. Rebecca gives you wings? Okay. Also, what kind of father says, I don't have to please my daughters? My father would never. He ain't a perfect father, but he ain't like a trash daddy either. I can't even imagine my father being like, I owe you nothing. I don't have to please you. The fuck you don't? You're my father. You're so crazy. I hate this man. And I really, really liked him before all this drama. He's so disgusting to me now. And then, then, because that's not enough. Because he's not done. Because he just, I don't know why. He goes, I'm a hog. You're a chicken. Just because you gave me eggs don't mean I owe you bacon. Ancient Flint, Michigan proverb. Nigga, what? Fuck you, Terry seriously I don't really say that very often but like for real fuck that man I'm not sorry to that man Gabrielle Union stuck her neck out for you you didn't have to do anything you didn't have to give her bacon all you had to do was shut the fuck up you'd been shutting the fuck up your wife had told you to shut the fuck up then you want to go on this national television show and go all gleeful like oh yeah nobody's ever done anything to me this is the best experience I've ever had is it really Because if you just got paid to act like a and ass motherfucker and lose the respect of all the black people in the nation, is it really the best place? They might pay well, but they don't really like you and they kind of treat you like shit. You're the token black dude, dude. My sympathies are with his wife because he's got to be a goddamn handful. Shout out to Nick Cannon, who came through in a clutch looking like a, a superhero in a turban. Come on, Nick. Nick didn't have to jump in a discussion. Nick's the former host, nine years of America's Got Talent. He got a good thing going on with the Masked Singer. He had no reason to jump in this conversation. It's like he showed up with a bowl of tea and was like, I'm going to pour all of this bitch today. What y'all want? Earl Grey? Lipton? (laughs) Peppermint? (laughs) He showed up to page six and was like, yeah, so Gabby's the homie. Yeah, uh uh-huh. She is. Yeah, uh uh-huh. They were like, Nick, what's going on at AGT? You were there for a while. Talk to the people. He was like, yeah. So they have an institutional issue. The production company's from London, so they don't really get American culture, and they make a lot of missteps along the way. He went on to say, Gabby's pointing out things that are true issues that need to be rendered and fixed. This here, that Nick Cannon didn't have to do but chose to do anyway, this is how you show up for people. Nick wasn't done. Nick said, I got more for you. More tea? Let me pour. He pointed out how people counted him out after he left AGT and he stood his ground. I believe he made a joke on a comedy tour about AGT. NBC found it offensive. I don't know if Nick quit. He got fired, but they went their separate ways. But he was like, everybody thought like, that's the end of you. You got this network job, you know, messed it up. And so you're done. And Nick was like, I could find work again and did on a rival network. He said, people were like, you'll never get an opportunity like that. And now the Masked Singer is kicking AGT's ass. Cannon went on to address Cruz. We get excited about the occupation. We get excited to work for the man and we going to defend the man because he gave me a job. I was one of the people that stood by Terry Cruz when my former agent accosted him. We didn't see Adam grab his genitalia, but he said it happened and we rocked with him. He said he practices the same thing, quote, especially when it comes to our queens, when it comes to Gabby, whatever she said, if it happened, I'm rocking with you. Let's go. Come on, Nick Cannon. And I would just like for folks to know if you are in poor standing or you're not sure of your standing, you want to increase your standing with your black audience, with your black female faithful audience, because we watch TV and we buy tickets and we show up. The easiest way to do that the easiest way to like get attention and like, get people excited about you is not to attack black women. It's to support black women. Guess who's going to be watching a Masked Singer? And be like, oh, let's go see what Nick Cannon is doing today. Let's support Nick Cannon. Me? Support a black woman in your life this week. We need it. Lord knows. It's been a rough week. So, as always, thank you for listening to Ratchet and Respectable. If you need some ratchet and respectable during the week, you can always follow me at at Demetria L. Lucas. Twitter, which I barely use, but Instagram, Facebook, I'm always there spreading my ratchet joy. Oh, and if you like what you heard today, please subscribe. There are fun things coming down the pipeline, and those numbers really help me get them done. Okay, thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon. Bye for real.